This podcast is brought to you by Hello Future. Do you want to drive innovation in your organization, futurize your enterprise, expand your patent portfolio, create amazing new profitable products and services, or effectively project manage to market? Then contact us today, hellofuture.co, and get started. Why listen to the past when you can listen to the future? Welcome to the Think Future podcast, broadcasting from deep in the heart of Silicon Valley, California. We focus on innovation, startups, and the future, not necessarily those and not necessarily in that order. Here's your host. Tell me a little bit about yourself and your organization and what you're passionate about. So, my name is Chris Mason. Um, our organization is Just Jams, and I'm passionate about life. Nice. So what's, what is Just Jans all about? Tell me about it. So Just Jans is, uh, we, have, we have a small gourmet food company, it's just two of us, myself and Jan, and mm-hmm. um, we create all the recipes and products. We create the initial version of the product, and then we have manufacturers who take it into kind of that higher scale of manufacturing, thousands of units and what have you, but everything still starts in a kitchen, in a home. Um, in a place where it's just two people trying to make something that tastes good and, and hopefully that translates to something that tastes good to other people too. Nice. So how did you get started? You know, so Jan got started. <laughs> Jan got started uh, with a fig tree in her backyard. Um, it, it was producing a ton of figs and she didn't want to see them go to waste. So she got kind of creative and, and tracked down a, a fig spread recipe and then made her own little tweaks because she's, she's a cook herself. Mm-hmm. And um, what she was making was just was incredibly delicious at the time. And I was a friend of hers who was a sampler. I was a taste tester. I was someone mm-hmm. who um, tasted all the spreads that she was coming up with them and my background's in marketing. So I would say, hey, have you tried this? Or you should, you should think about doing this or that. And so, you know, those conversations became me consulting, became me working with Jan. And that was, I don't know, over... Maybe that, maybe that was seven years ago. Um, oh wow, fantastic! It's been it's been some time, and and um, you know we've we've made products that have been in William Sonoma, Surlitop, um, Cost Plus, World Market. Like we've we've done quite a bit, and now we're we're just focusing on making people aware of the Just Jans brand itself, and, and getting our product in front of people, and getting it, you know, into as many hands and mouths as we can. Nice. <laughs> Well, I love to hear that, like the very, very beginning of all this. So you guys, you guys met, or you guys knew each other before this, or you just you met. met through the okay, you met through, through the jams through the rest, through yes, the okay, and then and then you became you became a consultant, and then you came on board, right? And mm-hmm. then at, at that time when you first started, like how big were you? I mean, sales wise, did you? Oh, tiny. I mean, yeah. For for two people, I would say it was a, a good size sales. Um, we had we had a national client, or Jan had a national client very very quickly, and mm-hmm. hotels and things of that nature. But um, you know, I, I don't think we we certainly didn't start. Oh, I lost you. Are your mic is your mic okay? I can't, I can't hear you. Hello. Can you hear me? Now I can hear you. 
Okay, I can hear you now. Okay, sorry. Zoom, man. <laughs> yeah, man. So, sorry. Can can you restart? Sure, sure, sure. Um. So Jan, when Jan began, it was she was doing the the door to door. She was she was going to individual local markets and saying, "Hey, will you try this?" She was doing the she was passing it out, and uh, that yielded a large client at. at shortly within, but I don't think we didn't start off as some big company. I was saying we didn't start off with a ton of clients and a ton of, um, ton of customers. We, you know, Jan, Jan pushed it and I would help in the ways that I could, or with, with some ideas. And by the time I came on board, she had some of the bigger clients and some of the bigger names were already involved. So this first client was already on board by the time you started. Yeah. And it was just like, like a fluke. Uh, they happened to be like, does she, I mean, how, tell, me, can you tell me about that first Total that first flip. meeting, how that went. Yeah, so so it's not my. I, this didn't happen to me, but this is the story as I know it, and, and this is okay. this, so this is it. Um, but Jan was at a a lunch meeting with a consultant, and she was she was determining how to get into this business, how to get into the food world. She was working with someone who was kind of guiding her through the process, and that person was at was at a meeting, and so Jan was sitting on the meeting, and this was at a Chinese restaurant. Um, a table nearby overheard the conversation mm -hmm. and that person came over and said, Hey, I'm a buyer for a national store. Wow. And, you know, I heard what you were saying and I'd like to talk to you about your product. <laughs> and that was Jan's product at the time. So very cool. Yeah. She goes on to have this epic meeting with this buyer and the buyer says, okay, when you figure this all out, give me a call and, and I'll put you in the stores. And that's nice. literally what happened. Fantastic. So it was just, it just ha it happened to be in the right spot, was talking about the product and then boom, there it is. Right there. Did she have it with her so that they could try it then or they, were they talking about it? I think they were talking about it. Jan, did you okay. have it with you? Um, you mean when I was at the Chinese restaurant? Yeah. No, I met her two weeks later and then brought Yeah, she didn't have it with her. She was just, just the person overheard the conversation and, and said, oh, let's, let's have a conversation. And then she brought in the product to sample. And even, even at that point, the sampling part, just to be clear, this was still the homemade stuff. This wasn't the finished right. product. This wasn't the stuff that was manufactured in jars. Even. Right. And then they tasted it and they said, oh, this is fantastic. I need a million jars. Yeah. I mean, not a million, <laughs> but yeah, they said, this is, this is really good. This is really good. These are all really good. I will take these when you get them, you know, to the full manufacturing thing. And so that's, that's oh, what, fantastic. That's fantastic. Yeah. And then, and then from that point on, I mean, do you still have that? Do you still have that original contract customer? Yeah, the yeah original I mean, customer. We, we we still we still have we still have that customer, or I should say, with, with in retail, you know, there's there's turnover within the products, but that's oh, a sure. customer that we can reach out to and hey, we have this. What can you do? So that type of thing. So it's still a relationship, absolutely. So um, so after you got that first customer, obviously a lot of orders came in, extra cash came in. How did you grow the business after that? So that's interesting. That's a good question. I think, you know, that that happening so soon put us put us on a different trajectory. Um, and the trajectory from that point was to find other large retailers, you know, who were going to make those those types of orders. And so, right. You um, wanted to have lightning strike again. Exactly. And, and we <laughs> did and not knowing any better at the time, really. And so what ended up happening was we, we, we started doing private label for a lot of companies, a fair mm -hmm. amount of companies, one one company in particular. And um, that became really the path to growth. It was, it was who, who's good, who can we make something that, or can, is there something we can get into their pipeline with, you know, something we have a little bit of expertise at. Um, and that worked for a time, 
Um, obviously, I think COVID kind of changed the landscape in terms of that type of specific working or business. Um, but it was something I think we were we were kind of moving away from anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think now we're in a place where, as I said, the, the, the main focus and impetus is on pushing this brand forward and, and letting people know what, what it is and not, you know, not making stuff that has someone else's label and they can sell. And we, we, we don't really benefit from in the same way. Right. So how long were you, how long were you doing the white label stuff before you decided to do your own thing? Uh, I would say we did the white label for, for five years. I mean, it, we, very recently we've kind of switched, we've kind of shifted away from that and more into the, um, this is we're we're focusing more on, on this brand. So is there a reason why you decided to do that instead of just staying white label the whole time? Yeah, because I should say within the white label element, we were we were doing our brand and working at that, but it just took up so much time. It becomes this disproportionate amount of time gets spent working on other people's projects. You know, you're kind of right. shepherding something that someone else is going to use and sell as opposed to shepherding what you're trying to create and what you're trying to put out. So it was just seeing it, seeing that. In, in full view finally and be like, okay, this isn't going to get us where we need to be with this company. This is going to help them, but it's not helping us. And so seeing that and making that shift was, was a big deal for us. So did you have a situation where your product and the white label product was on the same shelf at the same store or? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not, not really. Not, not in that direct of a sense. I mean, I, I suppose it could have happened with a few clients or places. Um, but no, I think we we the worlds were separate enough for there to be room for one to grow and for us to do the other. It keeps coming out. Okay. Right. So so uh, you were white labeled for a while, and then you decided mm-hmm. to start, or you actually were doing both your own and the white label. But right. I mean, I'm assuming the money from the white label was 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 more than the one from your current label. Or yes, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. Okay. I mean, so one was funding the, the, the other, basically. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So what did you do? What did you do to start growing the, the, your own brand product? You know, one of the things we do, I, I can actually show you this because I have it here, um, mm-hmm. is this, this is mm-hmm. tangerine sriracha. This is, um, well, that sounds great. First, I'd love to try yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I'll send you some, send me your address. Um, that's, <laughs> that's the first product that I created and that came about just from, looking at the line of things that we offered and saying, what can we offer that's new, that's different, that's going to kind of put us in a different light or push the envelope a little and, and resonate with a broader audience. And this one, uh, Sophie, which is a, uh, a, a major food award in the food industry, um, especially the food association gives these out. And this was a finalist for best new product when it came out. And this led to us getting into a grocery store, grocery chain of markets in Southern California that we've been trying to get into for a while. Uh, that product pushed, pushed us through the door and now they carry all of our products. Fantastic. Um, so just, just trying to move us forward in, in a new way. That was what perpetuated us, us getting to some new, new business, different business. So, so how do you come up with the ideas for these things? I mean, do you, is just a lot of trial and error? Or do you just like, like, Tell me about your thought process and how you come up with new hmm. products. Yeah, definitely trial and error. I mean, again, because we're, we're cooking in the kitchen and working from, you know, as an example for the sriracha, you know, I, I went to the grocery store, I bought the peppers that I wanted. I took, I bought all the ingredients. I came back here and then I started measuring and weighing and doing that. So there is an element of trial and error. There's also an element of what interests us, just what, 
you know, we're, we're trying to be creative here. We're not necessarily trying to copy anyone or do things that are, have already been done, but more so the things that inspire us or the things that we would enjoy eating. So there's always an element of just kind of playing. Oh, this sounds cool. This would be an interesting combination, or I wish they made this. Well, let's, let's see how that goes. And, and so we, we do a lot of that. And um, the ones that really wow us are the ones I think that we try to go into further development on and we, we work at a little bit more and we go, we engage that process and then kind of get into the back and forth with the co-packer. And if, if they can replicate what we did in the kitchen, then we have something. Right. Can you tell me a little bit about your, like your inspiration process? Like what inspires you to try these other things? I mean, do you go around trying all different things from other places? Do you try different cuisines? Like what's, what inspires you? Like, like, like when you came up with this tangerine sriracha, like what triggered you to think, oh, those things might be good together. <laughs> so that one is, it was very, uh, that was very straightforward for me. It was, it was, it started with a whiteboard, honestly. It was, you know, writing down what the hot items at the time were. Not even, not even literally hot, but like what are the things people are talking about the most? What are right. they interested in the most? And what can we do that's relevant and works within what we already right. do? So on that board, I had like, I had sriracha, I had harissa, and I probably had one other type of sauce. And then mm -hmm. I had a list of all the flavors we had at the time. And I started going, I started going back and forth. So it was... It was, you know, strawberry sriracha. No, strawberry harissa. No, raspberry harissa. No, so cross harissa. Off <laughs> did you harissa actually try? Three. Did you actually combine those two and try them out? Not necessarily. Or I mean, I bought harissa to try harissa just to see what it was. You know, again, yeah. not knowing, really, yeah. really just grasping at straws. Um, and I liked harissa, but it wasn't something I thought was going to work for us. And sriracha is sriracha. I mean, everyone mm -hmm. loves sriracha if you can, you know, oh, yeah. if you like heat. So it's a number, I, isn't that the number one sauce or number one condiment now? Replace, <laughs> it's like, replace ketchup. Re replace ketchup. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's, it was that thing. And so just, again, starting with that and then going through our flavors and I was like, raspberry sriracha, no, strawberry, no, fig, no, tangerine. I was like, okay. So as soon as I like said tangerine and sriracha, I knew that was a thing and the, the, the flavor profiles made sense to my mind. Mm -hmm. um, and I took regular just store-bought the, the rooster hoi fung sriracha. And I mixed that with Jan's, our uh, tangerine marmalade, which was already in production and been made and all that stuff. And I just whisked, whisked it together in a bowl. And I was like, oh, this is really, this is delicious. This is great. Mm -hmm. And we were, I would say at that point, as good as it was, we, we probably would have put that in a bottle somehow. We, we could have wow. done that. Um, but what, what ended up happening was Jan uh, subscribes to Cook's Magazine. Mm -hmm. Cook's Magazine has all types of information and recipes and they had a recipe for sriracha in there. So I was like, okay, let me, let me, we, we know that other thing works, but let's see what I can do. And I took that recipe and made my own version of sriracha with it. I, I, I did some tweaks to the flavor and tried to make it more complimentary to the tangerine that I was going to add to it. And that was just, it was lights out. Like we knew when it was done, when mm -hmm. we made it, when I made it in the kitchen, we knew, oh, this is amazing. And then we got to the, we sent it to the co-packer and did our back and forth there. And um, ultimately it, it, it just took about a year to develop. And a lot of that time was due to the fact that we had to buy an entire field of peppers. Like we had to buy like someone's Whoa. crop of peppers. <laughs> yeah. To, um, to get them to make the sauce because the, I guess when you get green peppers, green peppers aren't ripe and mm. they can, they still harvest them and sell them. But if you wanted them to let them grow and ripen to red, you had to pay for all of them. So yeah, that's what they did. So get, that's what we did. And 
they're not spicy if they're not red, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. No. Basically. Well, so so when you said go back a little bit to where you were saying you know it was hot when you said how do you find out how do you find out what's hot I mean were you just like scrolling uh, through social media Google <laughs> Trends I mean how did you know I mean obviously we all know oh sriracha is hot or whatever at the right. moment but like is there any sources that you went to that sort of proved to prove to you that these things were hot Uh I wouldn't I don't know if I would say there were sources I think anecdotally. You know, mm-hmm. adding awareness. Um, we, we go to food shows, so you're seeing mm-hmm. things and through being in food, just subscribing to email newsletters about the food industry and, and what people are doing. Um, there's all types of newsletters that, that will just roll through that type of stuff. And then um, you start looking at kind of the interesting pl- flavor profiles. I think for us specifically, it may have been more a question of what don't we have or what's what's something we don't we don't currently offer. Oh, and so like the empty spaces where you could fit yeah. a product that wasn't there. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That's really cool. I like that. Like the, the fact is, so, so you just sort of saw it bubbling up, you know, mm-hmm. in general, like here's something that's, that sounds interesting in the world that I'm in, plus in the world beyond your world. Right. And you thought, well, maybe we can mash it up with something that we already have and come up with something right. new. And is that like the genesis of most of your products or is that just that one specifically? That was that one specifically. I think um, a lot of times, again, it's it's it is. I think a part of one of the compliments we get a lot is that this is something that reminds me of home, or this reminds me of something that someone else used to make, or my my grandmother made, or my mom made. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's always a homey element to the things that 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 draw us in. Certainly, that draws Jan in. Um, you know, the flavors that she she enjoyed growing up, or things she enjoyed cooking and. Can we can we take a bit of that flavor and, and replicate it to a high degree and put it into a jar, um, you know? And if it makes sense, then then we try to do it. But I do think that also to your point, there's there's a little bit of that peeking ahead and kind of seeing where are the holes, where are the gaps, and the most important part with that is just making sure that the next thing we do makes sense for for what we already do. Like we don't want to do something that just is totally far afield and doesn't make sense for anything else we offer. Um, it, it still has to kind of fit within that that cobbled together nexus of what makes just chance just chance so you still you still fit into so like it's like a brand extension thing you're not going to go out and do like just jan's golf balls or something like that because it's exactly. like totally out. exactly, it's totally exactly. Out. <laughs> unless those are filled with jam no no right anyway. no like we're, yeah there's, there's some stuff that just okay that doesn't really make sense that's not what we do like let's we we can expand but it's still got to be a bandwidth to it yeah yeah so I love this uh, in nostalgia angle. I mean, is that just so that you went back into your personal history and said, hey, you know, I used to have this when I was a kid or my mom made this mm-hmm. when I was a kid. Is that kind of what pulls out of that? Or does that come from other sources too? I, I think both. I think, you know, if I think about it, um, I, I grew up with a stepdad who loved to cook and loved food. And so um, I'm a, I loved sports at that time. If mm. I wanted to watch football on Sunday, the only way I could catch it was in between the cooking shows he was watching. Right. So, you know, I would literally have to be sitting in the basement watching cooking shows for hours and hoping for the channel change to happen when <laughs> I could catch a glimpse of the football and see the score. And we see, you know, so I, I think that was certainly an influence that I grew up just seeing food being cooked all the time. Um eating different cuisines and, and, and different types of cultures, foods. Um, 
so I think for me, that was something to draw. And I think also for Jen as well, actually, she, she grew up doing a lot of traveling, um, as a child with her parents. And so she was exposed to a lot of different cultures from a young age and, uh, raising her own kids. I think wanted them to have a diversity of experiences and foods, all those things, just a sense of, um, trying new foods, having, having different flavors, and then kind of bringing it back together in your own way. Yeah, I think that you're, I think you're absolutely right. I think some of the most innovative people I know are the ones who've had all sorts of experiences, like tons and tons Mm -hmm. of different experiences, like the people who are like army brats or something like that. And they keep moving around the world and they do all sorts of different things and meet all sorts of different people. And they just bring all this stuff together to create really cool, innovative stuff. And that sounds like what, what's happening here as well. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's definitely a, a big facet of how we create and, and, and frankly, why we create the things we do. So have you ever done anything that was tasted amazing in the kitchen? So you got it out there into the marketplace and then it failed miserably. Or just say no. You could say no. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't say no. I think, I think that and I think in a lot of instances, what, what has happened is that it tastes delicious and it's amazing, but it's, it's so kind of different. People don't know how to address it. They're not sure what to do, how to use, and they right. love it, but they're just like, ah, it's like, I wasn't, they, it's, 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 it's a bit unexpected for them. So I think we've had a few, I can think of at least two off the top of my head. Um, we had a balsamic onion spread. That's like, Ooh, that sounds I good. Mean, I, I buy it's that. <laughs> killer. But the, then you're, you're dealing with the hurdle of getting people to understand it or use it, you know, and some people, and imagine you're doing this in a grocery store setting or at some sort of food fair where people maybe want to taste something they know about, or they are familiar with, and maybe they're hesitant to try something new or, you know, that some of the, some of the things we created, I think had to be explained a little bit more than we anticipated. Um, so stuff like that. I don't, I don't think we ever did something that abjectly failed. I think a part of that though, is that we, you know, as a small company, we can't afford to take, we can't afford to take such a big swing and miss. Right. You know, the so misses have to be small to take many risks. Yeah. Well, not and then, that we can't afford to take many risks. We just can't, we have, it have to be a qualified risk, I would say. Right. Or it's a small risk. You'd, you'd make a small batch and you test it with right. some people right. and you see what happens as opposed to just going all in on something. Yes, totally. So, so speaking of market research, what kind of market research do you do then? Um, how do you do, how do you test your products? Wow, that's a great question. <laughs> How do we, we, you know, I just, think just go to around with my family and friends and here you go. What do you guys think? <laughs> no, you know, one, one of the benefits of all the white label work that we that we had done is is the credibility with with people who are purchasers, people who are making that buying decision at the store level. Um, right. So. On that basis. We kind of, we, we know, we know what it should taste like. We know all the little boxes it needs to tick for us to feel like it should go there. And we have enough of a knowledge to know that that's not going to work. And then I think the, the, the feedback we get from the buyers or the, or the end users, the purchasers, um, that tells us too, that lets us know um, that this is working or this isn't, or you're late on that trend, or maybe you don't want to do this now, you know, that type of thing. So we, we get feedback in that way. I think that's more of our, our, our research is, is more from the, uh, the buyer side, like the, the corporate buyer is the person who's going to say, Hey, right. do you have any of this? Or we've been getting asked a lot for this. Maybe we should look into this. So you do get feedback from them, but you don't do it. You do some individualized, you don't really do a lot of individualized market research on, on products then. 
Some, I mean, it, again, like I think COVID's made this tough. Um, you know, I used to spend a lot of time in the stores, doing doing the in-store product demos and, and yeah. meeting people and talking about it and seeing what's on shelves. And so now that portion of the experience is gone. Like, you know, I, I may go to a grocery store, but it's real quick. Like I'm, I'm grabbing, I know what I'm getting and there's no opportunity to um, taste their sample. So it, it, it is more like that anecdotal feedback and that just, what do you see? What what pulls you? Yeah, but I mean, you've been doing this for a while now. You know, you kind of have a sense for what's gonna fly and what's not, right? Yes. Oh yeah. yeah. What, oh well, so, not, I don't want to say oh yeah, but you know, a <laughs> sense for what could work and what may not work, and still the room to be surprised by what does and what doesn't. So. Right. Have you ever done anything like a sort of a classical design thinking exercise where you just bring a bunch, like you have no idea what you just bring a bunch of customers into a room and say, Hey, let's come up with something. Or is it all sort of percolated <laughs> between you guys? It's all percolated between us. I think um, okay. people, people who know us, friends, family taste things and they'll say, Hey, you should try this. Or I had this, this is really good. Um, also in doing the in-store stuff and doing the fairs and types of shows we do, you're meeting other food creators and just, seeing what they're doing and trying their combinations and, and that community really shares. So that's another space where you, we pull some inspiration from for sure. Right. So it sounds like it's really important to be sort of plugged into whatever community you're in and just get feedback from them. Absolutely. You need, to, you need yeah. to be speaking, you need to be around people speaking the same language as you who are, who are, you know, so you can have that conversation because they're already within that same world, world space. And they just kind of, Oh, you should try this. Or have you been on this site? Or have you, have you heard of this store? Have you heard yeah. of this supplier? So yeah. that, that group shares a lot of information for sure. And you're not worried about somebody stealing your ideas. I, I mean, no, like That's <laughs> there's good. a lot of, there's, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of fruit spreads and jams and, and there's, there's a lot of these things out there. Um, ours is different from the other ones. Theirs yeah. is different from ours. So you, you could steal, I guess, the idea, but would you make what's in our bottles? Probably yeah. not. Well, no, I'm, the reason I'm asking is because, you know, there's other startups, startups out there who are so they're definitely afraid of communicating what they're doing or planning to do right. because right. they're worried that someone's going to steal their ideas. But it sounds like, you know, there's enough room for everybody. It's not a zero sum game, right? Your stuff is unique. Yeah. Their stuff is unique. Everybody's stuff is unique. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, and it's, I think the thing is it's unique because you're doing it. Like, yeah. That, that's that's the uniqueness you, you know <laughs> again my strawberry is different from your strawberry that's how yeah. it's going to be it's your, your your secret sauce you bring that to the table so if you look back over the seven years you said um mm -hmm. can you tell me about something that would you would have done differently within the business yeah or even outside of the business i don't know what, what would you have done differently some like something you went something went the wrong way and you said well if i had to do that over again what would i have done instead that's 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 tough um I, I definitely think there are decisions i think you know jan jan could probably name the decisions that she would make differently i tend to look at those things that we would do differently as important just because we know not to do them now and right. i look at i look at it like we were two people who weren't in the food business who got into the food business by learning on the job so yeah Yep. Some of the things that we think we would take back were just inevitabilities. As a more specific example, though, I would say we took on a large white label project, um, a very large project. And the, the problem with that is the problem with that specific project was, you know, you're paying for production, 
against purchase orders that are coming 60 to 90 days later. Mm-hmm. Um, and so cash flow issues, that type of stuff, like not getting so wrapped up in that, that those large numbers at the end that you're not seeing the large costs that come ahead of it. Right. So cash flow is like super important for a small business, obviously. Absolutely. Absolutely. So very cool. Uh, let's see what else did I have to, to ask you about. Um, so where do you see yourself going? Okay. It's time to think like a futurist. So it's 2031. <laughs> We're 10 years from now. Where are you? Mind the number down. 2031. A billion dollar, you're a billion dollar business. You're a unicorn. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, listen, that's, that's the goal. I I think, I think that we, you know, we, we obviously, we definitely have big goals and ambitions for this. I would say by 2031, though, we've exited this company. We, we have, we have successfully completed the, the life cycle and growth of the brand and the products. And, and it's, it's a self-sustaining, self-perpetuating thing. And we have sold it off to some large group who mm-hmm. wants to capture more of the high-end gourmet food market using right. leveraging our brand. And 2031, I'm making <laughs> movies and Jan's cooking someplace. And that's that's that. Absolutely. You're making movies? You want to get into making movies? Oh yeah, that's 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 the dream. I mean, I, that's what I initially moved to LA for. Um, and that's still that's still the dream, that's still the goal. So by 2031, I would expect to be doing that full time. Very cool. What what kind of movies would you want to make? You know, I, I like I like thriller, suspense, kind of action. I have to say, my tastes run more like serious movies. So, like, and not not serious, but but you know, actiony movies, but but smart. So, like Sicario is a movie I love. Um, mm-hmm. Directors I love. Um, David Fincher, that type of stuff. Like just really good movies. Like I, I love a good movie. I'm not. I'm not necessarily going to sit down for a rom-com, but right. <laughs> uh, other stuff. Yeah. Like I, I'd, I'd like to, that's, that's a world that I really have wanted to explore my whole life. And uh, yeah, by 2031, I would fully expect to be doing that. Right. So I want to go back a little bit to the stuff that you said was like really far out, like, mm-hmm. like outside of the, cause it sounds like a lot of things you've done for growth. You've, you've gone on brand extensions, right? So you've extended, extended, extended. And you said that you did try some things that were far out. So you, this, you said that I think the biggest problem was education, right? If yeah. you were trying to push products that are a little bit further out and right. have them more palatable to people, what would be, do you have, have any thoughts of what would be the best way? I thought about this. I honestly, I think the best way would just to, just to be kind of like, try it, just try it, try it. Right. You right. know, and, and, and in, in the instance of trying to explain it to them, give them, give them less information. Right. Um, because, you know, more information, people may make an association, they won't even try it, but if it's just try it, like, if you don't like it, that's cool. But see, if we could break yep. that barrier and get people to just taste without coming in with their pre-cooked notion of what it will, what it is or why they may not like it. Um, that might, I think that would be my, more of my impetus is just say, try it. You know, I'm not going to tell you what it is. I, I'm pretty sure you're going to like it. And maybe I'll ask a question or two, you know, like with the sriracha, some people don't like spicy. Um, yeah. So I let them know it's spicy or it's this, but just taste it. See if you like it. If you don't like it, fine, but just see how you react to it. Yeah. That's actually interesting. Really interesting. Cause it's sort of consistent with the whole, you know, if you actually give them too much information, then they'll criticize. But if you give them little, a little bit of information, they're more open to like a positive outlook on a product. Yeah, you, you can. You're discovering in that instance as opposed to prejudging. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's more exploration. Mm -hmm. So if you were to turn around, if let's say there's a startup out there that's thinking, or somebody out there who's thinking about getting into the same kind of business as you, maybe not jams or some other food product, what kind of advice would you give them today if they were wanted to start like in 2021, something like your business? Um, there's a, there's a few things I would, I would say start small, um, mm -hmm. you know, don't, don't start off mortgaging your house necessarily, or <laughs> putting like insane sums of money into not at the start anyway. Um, start small join as we were speaking to before, how, how much information gets shared within the communities of people who are doing this. Join right. communities, join mm -hmm. professional groups. Uh, I think one of the big things Dan did early was uh, join the Specialty Food Association. Um, just a wealth of knowledge and information there. And it doesn't mean that everyone you encounter, every group you join is going to be welcoming or willing to share a lot of the information, but you'll probably run across people who are in the same phase of this journey as you are, and they may share information with you. They may give you a tip. They may, they may, they, they have done the legwork that you're trying to do so they can cut out some of the, yeah. um, some of the, some of the stuff that you're dealing with. And so I think that would probably be my number one piece of advice is just, you know, start small, but really reach out to the communities, begin to research and, and, and figure out how you take this from, if it's a food anyway, how you take it from what you're making to something that's saleable and can go into a store or can go online. Like work, work your way through that process. Right. And then would you say getting like a, like a big, buyer like you did you guys did was like the best obviously it's the best route or is right. it going to online like doing it on etsy or selling it what, what, what would like nowadays obviously i mean things like on internet sales weren't as hot when you started mm -hmm. would that be the first place to go now nowadays or yeah i think i i, I do think it's the first place i think i think the buying the path the path to the store has changed and i think in some ways it's it's for the better um, because if you're, if you're now starting and let's say you just put on your, you put, you made your website and you're going to do direct to consumer, you're going to sell, you know, that, the people who buy from you are your customers. That's your audience. Those are your people um, yeah. they are shopping with you specifically. So you're cultivating that relationship. Every place else you sell online, you're selling to someone else's audience. And, mm -hmm. and we sell on all these platforms, but those customers are, that's an Etsy customer. That's an Amazon customer. That is not necessarily my customer. Um, right. So I think, you know, you have this ability now to cultivate and develop your audience. You can you can get your fans, you can get the people who are interested in what you're doing. And you, once you build that to that critical mass, then you go talk to the store and say, hey, I got this. And then you have a little bit more, maybe a little bit more say in the terms of, of the deal. You know, you, now you're dictating because you're bringing an audience. Right. So you want you want to start off with by building your own audience mm -hmm. and building your own sales, and then you can use that as a lever to to talk into these big deals. Because a lot of people, not everyone, can get the big break like you guys did. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's just that. You know, I, I don't know how that happened. Jan knows how that happened, but you know, we're grateful for it. Of course, we're happy that it happened. Yeah, it's, it's worked out well. Yeah. No, it's just I was just reading a book uh, called Click Moment, and it was all about how you know a lot of people, a lot of companies are successful because they just happen to all these things just happen to fall into place at the right moment. And he said it's it's kind of like luck. Obviously, you can make it you can make yourself more or less lucky based on what you're doing, but it's all about the kind of stuff you got you you were just talked about. Is like 
you know, connect with more people, get out there, you know, yeah. get your product out there, get, get it, get people to know, know you. Right. And, and then there's a better chance that, you know, something will click. Yeah. And also I would add to that. Um, I think maybe the, the first thing I should have said in terms of advice for someone, sorry, don't stop at the first no, like don't, don't be deterred by the no's you may hear on the way. I think, you know, that's, that's probably how Jam was able to start this business in ways that I maybe couldn't have. Um, is, you know, the no's didn't stop her. Those initial no's didn't stop her. And while there were yeses, there were certainly no's and moments where, you know, people will try to dissuade you or tell you not to, or that you shouldn't or all types of stuff. Um, but if, if you're really moved by what you're doing and you really have a passion for it and you're doing something good, go with that. Like keep the, those no's, they become yeses eventually. And then you have something. It's like anything else, right? Your persistence eventually gets you through. Yeah. Uh, so many people just quit before their big break. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They stop. They stop too soon. Yeah. Well, you guys were lucky. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, we were <laughs> very lucky. Very, very lucky. I think uh, Jan would tell you that that getting that um, that initial yes, you know, was was a major impetus in me. Like, okay, I can do this. Like you know, before that, you're kind of thinking you can, or you're wondering if it's going to work. And then someone says, I'm going to buy it. You're like, oh, well, wait, this works. Okay, let's do this. So yeah, nice. that, that's, that's an important part. Fantastic. Oh, this has been great. Thank you so much. This is fantastic. Is there, do you have any parting words for anybody out there who, who wants to, wants to do this? Uh, parting word, um, trust your gut, you know, yeah. if, if, if what you're doing lights you up, if, if that makes you happy, find ways to spend more time doing that and and keep doing that until that's all you're doing. Yeah. I love it. it. I love it. Thank well, thank you, you so much. Thank so you. what's the best way to get in touch with you? The best way uh, you can me personally, Chris K R I S at just J U S T J A N S.com. Also please visit www.justjans.com. That's J U S T J A N S.com. Um, all everything's delicious. The reviews there speak for it. Trust me, take my word. I can't wait to I can't wait to try it. Sounds real good. And so send me your that. address. I will send you the sriracha. Oh, thank you, sir. I'll uh, I'll put I'll put all the bio and information in the show notes. Uh, so if anybody wants to get in touch, that's the way they'll do it. All right. Thank you so thank much. You. Great. Talk thank you. Appreciate you, it. Likewise. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.